Photographs and Memories, a travel market life series sponsored by Atomize. My memory maker today is Christine Tan. Welcome to Photographs and Memories with me, Michael McCartan. Each episode, we invite an industry professional to share three photographs and a treasured souvenir from their travels, representing moments particularly important to them. Join us as we go on a journey through time to explore the significance of each. Check the podcast description to view the images of these treasured memories. Photographs and memories. Born in Malaysia, Christine left home at 17 to study in Switzerland and London and ended up living all over Europe and the USA, eventually returning to Asia 20 years later. A big foodie, Christine will travel long distances to experience different cuisines. Her family loves the ocean and snow, and so they spend most of their vacations diving off remote islands or skiing in Japan or the USA. Christine is Managing Director for Asia Pack at D-Edge. She has over 30 years of leadership experience including Trust International, A&A Hotels, Pegasus Solutions, and her own consulting company. Photographs and Memories, a travel market life series sponsored by Atomize. Christine Tan, welcome to Photographs and Memories. Hello, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Great stuff. So you've shared three photographs of people and places that represents special moments to you, and a third photograph of a souvenir from your life journey. During the course of this conversation, we will explore each of the photographs, and you will take us on a journey through time, reflecting on the significance of each. Uh, ordinarily, we leave the souvenir photograph to last, but I know that the souvenir that you've brought with, with you today relates very heavily to your introduction to the hospitality industry. So uh, please go ahead and explain the, the relevance and the significance of, of your souvenir. Okay, so uh, well, so the souvenir that I, uh, that I submitted to you was uh, when I was uh, back with, uh, it was my first job actually, with UTEL International. Um, and um, I was the GDS uh, Marketing and Promotions Manager. So uh, at that time, uh, GDS was very new. It was, can you imagine, that was back in 1989 when I first started my career. So, um, and I was fresh out of, uh, of college. And, you know, at the time, UTEL was advertising for a role of an airlines coordinator. And I discovered that the role wasn't, you know, airlines per se, but it was coordinating the switch of hotels into the airline systems like Sabre, Galileo, which was called Apollo at that time. <laughs> that is two Eastern Airlines, which is now called Amadeus and Sita Sahara. So uh, UTEL was the world largest uh, hotel representation company at the time, and the hotels were being inducted into an automated world of distribution. So actually, that was my first entry into the world of distribution then, you know, because uh, when we look at during those days, travel agents were the key brick and mortar you know, still um, making bookings for, for travellers, for hotels, uh, car rentals, for air. But the GDS was uh, very, very new to hotels. So um, so that particular uh, uh, press cutting that I sent to you was um, when we were doing a, a Chinese horoscope campaign 
to boost the viewership of all our hotels in the airline systems. So that picture was me and um, my Galileo uh, rep representative uh, named Hans Eberling. I came up with this idea during Chinese New Year using the 12 animal signs. Uh, travel agents were asked to explore their birth sign and select the hotels that are most suitable for their character. And our hotels uh, were then invited to participate for each, uh, each month or each year. So for example, let's say, uh, Michael, if you, you were born in the year of the tiger, uh, we would recommend certain hotels for you to stay in because that suits your character. So, so we had a lot of fun. We launched a campaign with uh, headlines like, what animal are you? Is your boss a monkey? Is your wife a snake? You know, So agents love it. And they were all checking the pages. And uh, we had uh, actually amazingly um, 30% uh, 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 increase of bookings over the, the previous month and about a thousand percent in uh, viewership. So uh, so I, I uh, remember this job very well because when I think about today, um, we are still doing something similar except it's on the internet, right? So we are still trying to drive traffic and we are still trying to drive conversion. Uh, but that, um, you know, that souvenir held uh, precious memories to me. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, very relevant. And as you say, I mean, the, the world has changed immeasurably in terms of uh, distribution, but uh, some of the fundamentals still remain. So that, that's fantastic. Now, I know that uh, UTEL took you to North America and, uh, and all over the world, really, uh, in your careers. Tell me a little bit about that, about uh, how you ended up in, on different continents doing different things. Yes. So, um, so you know, I'll give you a little bit of my background. Uh, I, I was born in Penang. It's a small island in West Malaysia. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was very young at that time, we lived in a house of extended families. We have got grandparents, aunts, uncles, all live under one roof. And, you know, my siblings and I. So I grew up with uh, lots of my cousins, you know. And, uh, and it's amazing because our parents had big dreams for us. Uh, they wanted us to be lawyers, doctors, you know, uh, business people, just like them. Uh, and and the boys, my cousins, actually became that. Except me, I wanted to be part of the hospitality industry. So um, so I persuaded my father to let me go to Switzerland to study a hotel school. Okay, so um, you know, it took a bit of persuasion because he says, you know, what kind of career is is working in a hotel? They are very poorly paid, and then when you come back you will be serving in front of the front desk. You know, that's, that's his image of the hotel industry at the time. Um, and, uh, but I persuaded him and I promised him that after the hotel school, I will go to London and I will study uh, my, my business degree and, and so forth. Okay. So, um, so that's how I went to Europe. And, um, you know, after, after studying in uh, London, in the university, and I got my Bachelor of Business Administrative degree, uh, I got myself uh, working with UTEL. So, um, and then I followed my fiancé at the time to America and uh, they gave me a relocation because they had offices worldwide. Uh, so I ended up in Los Angeles. And then uh, in Los Angeles, I, I had a change of role because they don't need a GDS person. I started doing uh, a bit of sales and marketing for them there. And then, um, you know, from there uh, in, in uh, L.A., I joined uh, one of their biggest clients. So I became a client. I became on the other side of the court uh, with ANA Hotel Group. 
Uh, and uh, again, you know, I was uh, in charge of 49 hotels, looking at uh, looking after their distribution channels, their re central reservation operations. Um, and then somehow I, uh, you know, from ANA, I ended up, um, you know, um, building my own business with my boss at the time because ANA uh, were going through a difficult time and uh, they wanted to, you know, keep the airline's business and they started selling the hotels. So basically we were laid off. So when we were laid off, me and my, my boss, we decided to start a, our own business. And again, you know, we went into the business of distribution and, and so forth. Um, but somehow I ended up uh, being contacted by its name Pegasus after that, you know, from Utah, it became Pegasus. And um, I was asked to, uh, to work for them again. So from LA, I worked for them. And then I ended up uh, in Singapore because um, the VP... Uh, Lucas Ping was leaving his job and they wanted me to uh, replace him. So so I did go one full circle with, with that, that company. Wonderful. So I, I, I think that's where we met, Michael. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, and the, yes, it's, uh, been, I think that's yeah, over 10 years ago. So it's it's been yes. a wonderful journey. And I think that's, you know, for me, being in the hospitality industry is all about the people. That's the fundamental mm -hmm. thing. And you, get, you know, you, you establish lifelong relationships. So uh, let's shift gears a little bit because you brought two wonderful photographs of a magnificent scenery. One's on top of a mountain and one is under the sea. So um, we're going to combine those because I believe they happened um, you know, within the same period of time. So yeah, please explain the relevance of these two photographs. Yes, I, I'll be more than happy to. Um, so when I was uh, at that time with my fiancé, I often joked with him that I like to climb the highest mountain and swim in the deepest sea. You know, and I have to do that before we, we you know, we consider having kids. So um, one day he decided that he's going to make that a reality. So unbeknown to me, he booked us a trip, uh, two trips uh, in two weeks. One is to to do diving in the deeper sea in, and one is the, to climb Mount Kinabalu, which is in Sabah, Borneo, is the Southeast Asia's um, highest mountain it has an elevation of 4000 meters above sea level <laughs> so um so we started um you know I, i'll start with the mountain okay so to climb up this mountain you you need a permit and um you need to engage a mountain guide uh, uh, or a porter so we set foot very early in the morning because you have to be able to reach um you know in the middle of the mountain which is a, a place called laban rata you got to reach there by noon uh, and then you got to go to bed and rest because you got to wake up again at 2 a.m. in the morning and climb the rest of the way to be in time for the uh, sunrise. Okay, so um, so the hike was pretty brutal, uh, to put it simply. Um, the guides helped to carry our backpacks as we you know we wanted to carry our cameras and water bottles and 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 all that. So, but in the beginning of the hike, you know, we were joking, making casual exchanges about the rainforest. Um, and then as we climbed the, the rocks and the man-made, some, some parts have man-made staircase, there were no flat terrain at all, as I discovered. And my legs started to ache. And uh, every half kilometers took us about 30 minutes. And we were still at the bottom of the mountain. It's like, never ending you know the the elevation became steeper and steeper then it started to rain icy cold and the ground was slippery 
And at one point, I was like getting so mad with my fiance. I haven't even married him and I was thinking of a divorce. Um, I stopped talking to him, you know, and, and um, but the, the guys were very encouraging. So, um, you know, we ate peanut butter sandwich and energy bars and drank water. And finally, after like many hours, we reached what I thought was the summit. And I, I was told, oh, no, that's the, the rest house. Um, and um, so we stayed in the rest house and uh, we woke up at 2.30 in the morning again. I think we got there around 6 p.m., but uh, we ate and, and, and then we woke up at 2.30 and then uh, we started the, the next climb. And the next climb was even worse. Uh, we had to wear head torches on our forehead. We climbed uh, steep granite rocks. And for some parts, I, I swear it was like scaling 90 degrees a jagged edge. By then, there was no conversation as everyone was just focusing and concentrating on the rocks and breathing hard as the air became thinner and thinner uh, with the altitude. And then some climbers stopped because they suffered altitude sickness. Um, and and my, my fiancé at the time said, maybe we should stop and, and rest. I said, no, we've come this far. We are going all the way. Um, finally, we reached the top and at around uh, 6 a.m. in the morning. And we were rewarded with the most magnificent, um, breathtaking beauty of the sunrise. It was like fiery crimson. Um, and it was just amazingly beautiful. And that's when I took that photograph that you saw. <laughs> Managed <Amazing>. a smile. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, it was amazing. But to and be you still, to honest, And you still married your husband after that? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it took a, a couple of years longer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to be honest, uh, Michael, that, that climb up was hard, but the climbing down was even worse. It, it was like so much pressure on, on your toes because it was so steep. Uh, by the time we reached the bottom, um, three of my toenails turned black and actually fell out after a few days. <laughs> I think it's too much details, but, but no matter what, I'm st still so glad I did it, you know. And amazing life lessons, I'm sure, you know, the, the journey that you took to get up and down the mountain apply to real life and your career and, and many other aspects as well. Yes, yes. This, you have to have the resilience. But if you ask me if I would do it again, I'll take the helicopter. <laughs> so tell me about the, 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 deepest, the deeper sea then, because it was, I believe okay. you did that just before you climbed the mountain. That's right. Luckily, I, I did that before I climbed the mountains because by the time we reached you know, after climbing the mountains, my, my, my legs were so swollen, there was no way I could have swam the deeper sea. So anyway, uh, the second picture of uh, was taken in a place called Sipadan. Uh, and again, it's in Borneo. And uh, Sipadan is an oceanic island in Sabah. It rise about rising about 2,000 uh, feet from the ocean floor. Uh, and it was formed by living corals, growing on top of an extinct uh, volcanic cone. Um, it has one of the most richest uh, marine habitat in the world. And But what was so fascinating was you can literally walk off the beach from the Sipadan Island with your scuba tank and there is a, a 2,000 feet drop-off. And when you when you you know just uh, swim out and and when that at the drop off you see the most incredible sea life like um, you know the schools of barracuda the manta rays and turtles and it was just so beautiful. But what was so special is that um, 
in the evening, uh, the green and hawksbill turtles, they, they come out, they came out from the ocean and they dig holes in, in the sand and lay their eggs. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, it's just the most incredible place uh, I, I've ever been. So I think that's also part of Basel when we talk about hospitality industry, why I love the hospitality industry, you know. Um, Travelling to all these amazing, diverse places, it's, it's, it's just uh, life-enriching. Incredible. And, and your third photograph, I'll jump onto that, because it's also an underwater shot, um, but I'm guessing it's a few years later because it's got your daughter in it, or, or your children, is that right? That's right, that's right. Uh, the third picture is very special to us. Uh, because uh, my daughter was very young, but we want to introduce her to nature and the sea. We wanted her to uh, to enjoy and do not be afraid of uh, swimming with large uh, animals. So uh, this shot was taken in Oslo, which is in the southern tip of Cebu Island in the Philippines. And uh, it has an incredible stories. We first heard about this Oslo from um, some friends that who told us that you know you can swim with the whale sharks you don't have to go all the way to the maldives and the whale sharks um are just not that far away from uh the land itself you just you know take a bamboo raft and swim it out in the ocean and jump down and you see the whale sharks and i'm like really so anyhow um i went there and i just couldn't believe the amount of whale sharks. And then I learned that from the villagers, this incredible story. The fishermen has known about the presence of the whale sharks uh, in, in the waters of Oslo since the 1980s. In the beginning, they, they, uh, they brand the fish as pests because the whale shark uh, drove away other fish and uh, sometimes, you know, destroyed their, their nets. And then some fishermen started fishing these whale sharks with baby shrimps, um, you know, because they, they can't sell those shrimps. And these whale sharks started alerting other whale sharks. Apparently, they're very social. They started alerting all their friends that, hey, there is this free food. And, um, and more and more whale sharks started appearing to get fed. Uh, uh, and, you know, they are free food. And they the size of those whale sharks varies from two to six meters. And there's a, a female whale sharks that was like nine meters. They will appear early in the morning. By noon, they totally disappear back to the ocean. But what happens uh, is that soon after the world got out, that the, the, word, the word got out that you can see and feed the whale sharks in the ocean close to the land. And uh, dive operators and, and people started coming to, to see this phenomenon. Um, in the past, that village was very poor. The uh, uh, fishing was the main, you know, bed, bed and butter for them. But in a few years, they discovered that taking people out to see the whale sharks, they were making more money than, than fishing. And soon, this whole town in Oslo transformed uh, e economically. And there were small businesses and eateries and souvenir shops. And the locals realized that, you know, this, gosh, they brought, you know, uh, such economic development to our little village and we got to protect the whale shark. Absolutely. And it's always a conflict, I think, in our industry is sort of mass tourism versus protecting the environment. There's a constant struggle, isn't there, between opening it up so that everyone can benefit and see all these beautiful sites, but also preserving them and protecting them so that they don't become over-commercialized. Yes, yes, indeed. 
that's that's always the challenge. Um, but but I I saw what they did to it, and and I I uh, yeah I've been I've been back a few times, and uh, they have done a very very good job, um, you know, preserving the place. Fantastic. Well, we, we're coming rapidly to the end of our conversation. The time has flown by. Um, but uh, as a hotelier, um, you would have experienced some very unusual things on property, either as a guest or as a as a hotelier. Um, mm -hmm. so share what I'll call your faulty tower moment, something that's happened oh to you that, uh, <laughs> that is just unbelievable. <laughs> I guess uh, my faulty tower moments that I want to share with you was when I was working with the A&A &A group. Uh, in in Tokyo, uh, one night uh, a guest uh, appeared at the front desk, um, just in his underwear, to ask for keys to go back to his room, uh, and um, the guest was apparently severely jet lagged, mm -hmm. and in the middle of the night he needed to go to the bathroom, and the bathroom and the um, the main door was next to each other, <laughs> so he he opened the ba the bathroom door. He thought. And then the door shut, and then he realized it was the wrong door, <laughs> and he was standing <laughs> in the corridors, uh, and he had no choice at that point. He took the elevator down the to the front desk to get the keys to go back to his room, uh, and you know this is Japan, okay, a very conservative society. So, so it was quite funny because they are very professional. The ladies was like very professional, and so yes, hi. Hi. Yeah, we understand and pretending not to look at his almost naked body. So they they gave him a raincoat so he could wear back to his room. But I remembered that it was like, I was like so amazed at how professional they were handling a situation like that. But at the same time, it was really quite funny as well. <laughs> well, I mean, that just encapsulates the spirit of hospitality. You know, I think that's, that's where people can keep their cool and still give a professional image and provide support. Um, to you know, to 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 guests in in a very difficult and tricky situation. So, yeah, <laughs> embarrassing but well handled. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Christine, thank you very much for sharing your um, photographs and memories with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, once again, thank you for for being my guest on Photographs and Memories. Thank you, Michael. Photographs and Memories, sponsored by Atomize, produced by Haynes Marcoms as a Travel Market Life series. For more, visit travelmarket.life.